European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 35, Focus Issue, Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Interaction between predisposing genes and environmental risk factors in cardiovascular disease. How prevention can counteract this salty combination. Genetic predisposition and risk factors interact in causing cardiovascular disease. This focus issue on preventative cardiology contains two interesting contributions on this deadly combination. The first contribution is a clinical research article entitled Genetic Predisposition to Smoking in Relation to 14 Cardiovascular Diseases by Susanna Larsson from the Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden and colleagues. The authors sought to use Mendelian randomization to determine the causality of the association between smoking and 14 different cardiovascular diseases. Their primary genetic instrument comprised 361 single nucleotide polymorphisms associated with smoking initiation, i.e. ever smoked regularly, at genome-wide significance. Data on the associations between the single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SMP, and 14 cardiovascular diseases were obtained from the UK Biobank study, Cardiogram Plus C4D Consortium, Atrial Fibrillation Consortium, and Million Veteran Program for a total of 85,000 individuals. The main analysis were conducted using the random effects inverse variance weighted method and complemented with multivariable MR analyses and the weighted medium and MR EGGER approaches. Genetic predisposition to smoking initiation was most strongly and consistently associated with higher odds of coronary artery disease, heart failure, abdominal aortic aneurysm, ischemic stroke, transient ischemic attack, peripheral arterial disease, and arterial hypertension. Genetic predisposition to smoking initiation was additionally associated with higher odds of deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism in UK Biobank, but not with venous thromboembolism in the Million Veteran Programme. There was limited evidence of causal associations of smoking initiation with atrial fibrillation, aortic valve stenosis, thoracic aortic aneurysms, and intercerebral and subarachnoid hemorrhage. The authors concluded that their Mendelian randomization study supports the causal association between smoking and a broad range of cardiovascular diseases. The manuscript is discussed in an editorial by Heribert Schunkert from the Deutsches Herzzentrum in München and DZHK in Munich, Germany. Schunkert notes regarding the cardiovascular risk associated to smoking, the findings from Larsen et al. allow the conclusion that in a world free of cigarettes, smoking-related SMPs would do little harm. In a second contribution, a clinical research manuscript entitled Genetic Etiology of Blood Pressure Relates to Aortic Stiffness with Bidirectional Causality, Evidence from Heritability, Blood Pressure Polymorphisms and Mendelian Randomization. Marina Cecilia from King's College London in the United Kingdom and colleagues investigate the heritability of these phenotypes, their association with blood pressure, or BP, related single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs, and the causal association between BP and arterial stiffness. 
Cecilia Tal assessed BP, central BP components, and various hemodynamic parameters in 3,531 with 1,934 monozygotic and 1,586 dizygotic female Twins UK participants. Heritability was estimated using structural equation modelling, association with 984 BP-associated SMP, was examined using least absolute shrinkage and selection operator and generalised estimating equation regression. One and two sample Mendelian randomization were used to estimate the causal direction between BP and arterial stiffness, including data on 436,419 biobank participants. The authors found high heritability for systolic and pulsatile components of BP greater than 50%, and pulse wave velocity, 65%, with overlapping genes accounting for greater than 50% of their observed correlation. Environmental factors explain most of the variability of cardiac output and systemic vascular resistance, greater than 80%. Regression identified five single nucleotide polymorphisms known to associate with BP, and also to be associated with pulse wave velocity. The authors conclude that the genetic basis for BP is mediated by genes regulating BP, but also genes that influence arterial stiffness with a bidirectional causal association. The manuscript is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Massimo Volpe from the Università degli Studi di Roma Sapienza Facoltà di Medicina e Psicologia in Rome, Italy, in which he concludes that the correct and complete evaluation of the heritable component of arterial hypertension appears paradoxically easier than the complete assessment of the effects of the fickle environment on individuals. Regarding environmental risk factors, risk scores represent a key tool in the calibration of preventative treatments. Cardiovascular disease, or CVD, risk prediction models are used in Western European countries, but less so in Eastern European countries, where rates of CVD can be two to four times higher. In a clinical research article, development and validation of two score-based cardiovascular risk prediction models for Eastern Europe, a multi-cohort study, Tavi Tillman and colleagues from the University College London recalibrated the score prediction model for three Eastern European countries and evaluated the impact of adding seven behavioural and psychosocial risk factors to the model. Tillman and colleagues developed and validated models using data from the prospective HAPPY cohort study with about 15,000 participants from Russia, Poland and the Czech Republic. The first model, named Recalibrated Score, used the same risk factors as the SCORE model. The second model, named HAPPY Score, added education, employment, marital status, depression, BMI, physical inactivity, and hypertensive use. Discrimination of the original score model, C-statistic, 0.78 in the derivation and 0.83 in the validation cohorts, was improved in the recalibrated score, 0.82 and 0.85, and the happy score models, 0.84 and 0.87. After dichotomizing risk at the clinically meaningful threshold of 5%, and when comparing the final HAPPY score model against the original score model, 
the net reclassification improvement was 0.07 in the derivation and 0.14 in the validation cohort. The authors conclude that their recalibrated score may be more appropriate than the conventional score for some Eastern European populations. The addition of seven quick, non-invasive and cheap predictors further improved prediction accuracy. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ian Graham from the Trinity College Dublin in Ireland, where he notes that this paper will be of real value in informing both clinical practice and the work of the recently established Cardiovascular Risk Collaboration. Statins are widely used to prevent cardiovascular events, but little is known about the impact of different risk factors for statin-related myopathy or their relevance to reports of other types of muscle symptoms. In a clinical research article entitled Independent Risk Factors for Simvastatin-Related Myopathy and Relevance to Different Types of Muscle Symptoms, Gemma Hopwell from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom and colleagues undertook an observational analysis of 171 clinically adjusted cases of myopathy, defined as unexplained muscle pain or weakness with creatine kinase, greater than 10 times upper limit of normal, and separately of 15,208 cases of other muscle symptoms among 58,390 individuals with vascular disease treated with simvastatin for a mean of 3.4 years. The rate of myopathy was low, 9 per 10,000 person years of simvastatin therapy. Independent risk factors for myopathy included simvastatin dose, ethnicity, sex, age, body mass index, medically treated diabetes, concomitant use of niacin laropiprant, verapamil, beta blockers, diltiazem, and diuretics. In combination, these risk factors predicted more than a 30-fold risk difference between the top and bottom thirds of a myopathy risk score. This score was not associated, however, with other reported muscle symptoms. Likewise, SLCO1B1 genotype was associated with myopathy, but not with other muscle symptoms. The authors conclude that the absolute risk of simvastatin-related myopathy is low, but individuals at higher risk can be identified to help guide patient management. The lack of association of the myopathy risk score with other muscle symptoms reinforces randomised placebo-controlled evidence that statins do not cause the vast majority of reported muscle symptoms. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ulrich Laufs from the Universität Leipzig in Germany. Laus concludes that some patients cannot tolerate a sufficient dose of a statin. For these selected individuals, combined therapy has emerged as a successful strategy with additional treatment options on the horizon. Glucose-lowering glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 receptor antagonists reduces incidence of major cardiovascular or CV events in patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus. Or DM. However, randomized clinical trials reported inconsistent effects on myocardial infarction or MI and stroke and limited data in DM patients without established CV disease. Very recently, new relevant evidence was available from additional cardiovascular outcome trials or CVOTs that also included large subgroups of patients with DM without established CV disease. 
in a meta-analysis article entitled Effects of Glucagon-like Peptide 1 Receptor Antagonist on Major Cardiovascular Events in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus with or without established cardiovascular disease, a meta-analysis of randomized control trials. Fabio Massico and colleagues from the Federico Duo University in Naples, Italy, investigated the effects of GLP-1 receptor antagonists on major CV events and safety in DM patients with and without established CV disease. In this trial-level meta-analysis including about 5,600 patients, the authors analyzed data from randomized placebo-controlled CVOTs, assessing efficacy and safety of GLP-1 receptor antagonists in adult patients with type 2 DM. The difference in efficacy with respect to the primary endpoint, including CV mortality, non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, between patients with established CV diseases and patients with CV risk factors only, was not significant. In the analysis of the whole population of DM patients, GLP-1 receptor antagonists showed a significant 12% reduction in the hazard of primary endpoint and a significant reduction in the risk of CV mortality, HR 0.88, all-cause mortality, HR 0.89, fatal and non-fatal stroke, HR 0.84, and heart failure hospitalization, HR 0.9. In contrast, no significant effect was observed for fatal and non-fatal MI. No excess of hyperglycemia, pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer was observed between GLP-1 receptor antagonists and placebo. The authors conclude that GLP-1 receptor antagonists significantly reduce MACE, CV and total mortality stroke and hospitalization for heart failure with a trend for reduction of MI in patients with type 2 DM with and without established CV disease. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Niklaus Marx from the RWTH Aachen University in Nordheim, Westphalia, Germany. He notes that the results of this analysis strengthen the view that stratifying cardiovascular risk rather than simply making a distinction between primary and secondary prevention is appropriate when considering the initiation of GLP-1 RA therapy in patients with T2-DM. He highlights also that they support the ESC guidelines on the use of GLP-1 RAs in clinical practice. While for some risk factors like hypertension, diabetes and dyslipidemia, the consensus is global. For other risk factors like salt excess in the diet, data are more controversial. In a clinical review article, Salt intake and cardiovascular disease. Why are the data inconsistent? Martin O'Donnell from the McMaster's University in Canada notes that several blood pressure guidelines recommend low sodium intake, less than 2.3 grams per day for the entire population, on the premise that the reduction in sodium intake, irrespective of the levels, will lower blood pressure and in turn reduce cardiovascular disease occurrence. The authors of this review argue that guidelines have been developed without effective interventions to achieve low sodium intake in free-living individuals. Without a feasible method to establish sodium intake reliably in individuals and without high-level evidence that sodium intake reduces cardiovascular events compared with moderate intake. The review provides a counterpoint to the current recommendations for low sodium intake and suggests that a specific low sodium intake target e.g. 
less than 2.3 grams per day, for individuals may be unfeasible, of uncertain effect on other dietary factors, and of unproven effectiveness in reducing cardiovascular disease. The authors also contend that the current evidence, despite methodological limitations, suggests that most of the world's population consume a moderate range of dietary sodium, 2.3 to 4.6 grams per day, or 1 to 2 teaspoons of salt, that is not associated with increased cardiovascular risk, and that the risk of cardiovascular disease increases when sodium intake exceeds 5 grams per day. Accordingly, the authors propose a population-level mean target of less than 5 grams per day in populations with mean sodium intake of greater than 5 grams per day. It's likely that this elegant and provocative review will generate a stimulating debate. This issue is complemented by a discussion forum contribution in a piece entitled Recommendations on Sodium Intake for Cardiovascular Health – Conviction or Evidence Katharina Lechner from the Deutsches Herzzentrum München in Germany comment on the recent 2018 ESC-ESH guidelines for the management of arterial hypertension. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.